Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Podcast. I'm Pauline James, founder and CEO of Anchor HR, and it's my pleasure to be your host today. In this episode, we ask, once we have our basic analytics in place, how can we continue to improve decision-making? Listen to as we preview the upcoming Agility Reimagined Summit in beautiful downtown Toronto on September 14th. Joining me on the show is David Creelman. CEO at Creelman Research. David is best known for his research on human resources, including leveraging technology and analytics effectively. David is a recognized thought leader in people management and a fellow of the Center for Evidence-Based Management. Based in Toronto and Kuala Lumpur, David works with think tanks such as Talent Tech Labs in New York, Works Institute out of Tokyo, Workforce Institute in Boston, and CRF in London. His most recent books are The CMO of People, Manage Employees Like Customers, and Management for Scientists and Engineers. He's currently investigating what it would take to create an AI coach that would have a meaningful impact on leadership. David, welcome to the HR Chat Podcast. Thanks, Pauline. Beyond my short intro, could you begin by taking just a minute to tell the HR Chat listeners about yourself? Well, at this point in my career, I do a wide variety of things, uh, and often with global clients, which is interesting. Uh, if I were to pick one particularly interesting project, it was the one actually I did with you uh, working with the uh, European Union. Oh, yes. Can you tell us what that was all about? Yeah, so that was with the European Union Intellectual Property Office. And as part of their strategic planning, they'd recognized that there was going to be a whole lot happening with AI and automation. And what they wanted us to do is take it from this very sort of broad sense that, okay, AI, automation, disruptive change, and so on, and say, well, how is this going to actually affect the jobs, uh, how, how the jobs are designed, how people need to be trained and developed, how it might affect careers. And uh, so we try to really operationalize that with a series of workshops. What I found really interesting in, in working with you on that is that regardless of how fascinating, exciting, strategic a project is and seems to be, just how important it is to bring it down to something really practical and, and executable. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And if anyone wants to hear about it, I'm sure you'd be happy to talk to them or, or I'd be happy for them to reach out to me. Neocase is the pioneering platform for automating HR service delivery. Clients use Neocase to achieve faster time to value through reduced implementation costs and make real productivity gains by reducing the time spent on administrative tasks through processes automation and workflow efficiencies. Learn more at neocasesoftware.com. You'll be joining me on a panel at the Agility Reimagined Summit produced by the HR Gazette and Anchor HR in downtown Toronto on September 14th. And the panel will discuss how do people and culture divisions need to adapt to meet the changing demands being placed on the HR function. Tell our listeners about some of the hoped for learning outcomes from the panel. 
Well, we've seen a lot of changes over the past few years, and uh, we've had a chance to reflect on those. So we're looking forward to sort of sharing our insights on how we think HR needs to adapt. Uh, and, and I, in particular, have a great interest in how organizations are evolving their HR analytics work. Really looking forward to that discussion with you. On people analytics, let's go deeper on that. And you note in a recent article on TLNT.com that many companies have been at people analytics for some time now, and they're past the hype phase, as you named it. Where do you see we are now that you see organizations five to 10 years in? Yeah, well, it's been very interesting because, uh, and I don't know if I want to figure out the exact date the interest started, but maybe if you go back 10 years, there was a lot of talk about people analytics and everybody thought, oh, I I should do something, but I don't have a department or I only have one person and we don't really know what we're doing. Then very quickly, I started seeing titles existing so that someone who was the HR operations manager was now the HR operations and analytics manager, or maybe there'd be a, somebody who is actually people analytics manager. And, they, and these people would start having a team uh, with various uh, people, analytics prof- people analytics professionals on their team. So a whole lot happened. And uh, a lot of the time, people didn't really know what to do with this, right? They had this idea that it was important, uh, but they weren't really sure how to go about it. And an awful lot of the hype was around uh, the idea of predictive analytics, big data, sort of the idea with really sophisticated techniques, we'll be able to do amazing things. Uh, That's all died down now. And you find people are very much immersed in just doing good data management, good reporting. And the the excitement, uh, the thought that we'd find something really extraordinary uh, by looking at big data, by and large, that has passed. Uh, And I I think there is a, a next phase yet to come. And what would you see that next phase as? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the next phase is where we simply get much better at using data and other forms of evidence to answer questions. And in fact, I would even rename the people analytics department to people analytics and evidence-based management because analytics overly focuses on the concept of data that you're going to crunch with statistics uh, instead of the broader idea that we should seek out various forms of evidence to help us make better decisions. Genos North America is a team of change makers using emotional intelligence to enhance how we connect, communicate and collaborate at work. Transforming these essential people skills at work also makes a difference to people's relationships outside of the workplace. People become better parents, partners, siblings and friends. Learn more at genosnorthamerica.com. Where do you see organizations hitting their stride, struggling? Well, a, a lot of organizations are really bogged down in what I would call the data management side of it. So, you know, you have something like Workday or SAP and you think, oh, good, we, we've got an up-to-date modern HR system. We should be able to just do analytics. And you find that the data isn't in a form you can use. And so suddenly you're building these complicated data warehouses, um, things like uh you discover there are 15 different ways the organization is calculating turnover and it's not very exciting, but you have to get them all aligned on a common standard. Uh, There are data quality issues. Uh, There 
information that we thought we should report and we have these complicated dashboards what we discover no one is looking at it so uh, i would say organizations are doing a lot of necessary work in the data management and reporting side but at the same time they've let it bog them down so that they're not doing as much work on using evidence to make better decisions. Mm. And what do you see from that foundational work that progress is, is being made on the biggest opportunity for okay. HR functions to, to really improve the impact that they're making on the organization? I, I think the greatest impact is a sort of a consulting role and it could just be the HR business partners who do this, but I think it may have to be HR business partners in conjunction with, I'll call it uh, evidence-based specialists or evidence-based consultants, or we might call them analytics consultants, but somebody who will work with HR business partners and also Center for Excellence Professionals to help identify what the strategic HR issues are, what the options are, and how we can use data and other forms of evidence to make better decisions. So very much more a consulting type of mindset driven by a keen understanding of what's most important to the business and having the skill to go on what I call a data safari to to find whatever evidence we can that will help lead us to better decision making. Interesting. Uh, and I'll note, you're, you're a numbers guy, analytics guy, um, but I've also heard you speak of the importance of looking past the numbers in grounding research and an evidence-based approach. And, and this can take us in many different directions, but I guess what I want to say, and I'll be interested in your take on this, but the answer isn't always in the numbers. I mean, number, numbers can be misleading as well as providing insight. So that's one side of it. And I'd also go to say that the numbers never give you a final answer. There's always some way you could question the numbers. There's always more than one way you could interpret the numbers. There could always be something wrong with the numbers. And if you think that eventually you're going to hit recalculate on your spreadsheet and it's just going to tell you unambiguously, unambiguously what the right answer is, that's never going to happen. We're always using evidence to inform decisions. It's, it's very rarely going to make the decision for us. I like the call out that you're making too, just giving credit to the fact that we have been using evidence all along. Yes, we want to become more sophisticated around how we use that and how important context is and how we're, we're anchoring our approach. Yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly the right way to think of it. And somebody wrote an article where they said that the key thing is for uh, and they were talking about uh, business school professors, but it, it applies to HR people, is to adopt the sense of identity that I am an evidence-based professional. That's how I work. Because there's a lot of pressure just to do things quickly. The first solution that comes to mind, the the fad that everybody's excited about. And, and so you need that sense of personal professionalism and identity that despite the pressures to do things a non-evidence-based way that you're going to say, no, no, we're going to look at the evidence, uh, which, which, by the way, is quite discouraging at times because things that are really fashionable, uh, the evidence may not support. And so we have to accept the fact that what looked like a cool, quick fix that everybody loves really is unlikely to be effective. And as people who identify as evidence-based practitioners, we're going to say, I'm sorry, we have to pay attention to the evidence. This is not going to work and let's do something different. I love that call out. 
uh, and how there's something that may seem very exciting that other organizations are working on, but the ROI, the investment uh, within a, a given context organization just doesn't make sense. And, and encouraging organizations and leaders and partners at sometimes to, to slow down and let's really identify what's going on here before we we charge ahead in something that may not be effective or, or actually supporting our leaders well. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sorry. One of the key competencies I've come to identify in HR analytics professionals is patience, where they say we're, we're just going to take a step back, go a bit slow, rather than rushing in because we think we already know what the answer is. That's great. Thank you. Um, I'd like to to harken back to your book, Lead the Work, and some work you did a number of years ago pre-pandemic um, that I think provides a lot of interesting insights um, to the forced move to remote remote work that required leaders to be much more focused on results rather than tasks. And it was an approach you actually recommended in within your work. And you talk about the need to become more innovative around how organizations and leaders disperse work. And I'd just like to hear your thoughts on how this is playing out. Yeah, well, it's really this book was really interesting because it's it's um, some time ago that I, I wrote it along with uh, John Boudreaux and Raven Jesus Assen, uh, and I think it was quite prophetic. and And I look at what we said in that book, and I say, "Wow, that was really excellent work." If I do say so myself, and and, and it has kind of played out. And maybe that one of the most fundamental ideas is that we're stuck in this idea of a nine to five job. And while we didn't talk about it so much at in, in that particular book, part of that mo- mental model is a nine to five person sitting in a desk. And we said, there, there are many ways to get work done other than having it to be a, a permanent full-time jobs. For example, you can use gig workers. And we talked a lot about the talent platforms like Upwork and Tongle that allow you to take a piece of work and have that done by a gig worker. Uh, and that that was one of the sort of models of sort of breaking up and dispersing work. Uh, the most interesting gig workers have always been the ones who are remote. So that was an early example of getting work done remotely. And I think we're coming to see that now that everyone's gone remote, we're seeing uh, work being sent to people, done remotely, the results come in uh, remotely. And so... In some ways, the workers, even if, if you are theoretically still a nine to five permanent employee, it be, becomes a lot more like a gig worker in some ways, where you're off in your own home office and you're delivering results for pay, as opposed to you're sitting at a desk and the manager sees you sitting there. And as long as you're sitting there enough hours, you get paid. Just really appreciated the foresight that your work had, and I think it is a tremendous guide to support us in rethinking how work is is assigned and and dispersed. Uh, as you hear for some calls of return to office, um, returning to some of the the approaches, I would say older approaches now pre pandemic. Uh, what comes to mind for you? Well, I'm very disappointed in the world, I suppose, because we've had this wonderful success with remote work. And rather than saying, hey, let's really run with it, the instinct of some organizations is is simply, how can we get back as close to the old ways as possible? Um, and, And what I think we really need to do is be much more, I would say, analytical and um, experimental in our approach 
So for example, if, if we say we want people in the office because of reason X, well, let's be clear what that reason X is, not, not the reason, well, it's always been that way. So we want to uh, break out what those reasons are, who they apply to, uh, how best to address those reasons. So for example, if, if you say, you know, what we really miss is the social interactions. We say, okay, well, do we need to have people at work three days a week or five days a week because we want them to have the social interactions? Is that the best solution to this issue? Or is there a different solution that might work better? Uh, and why don't we try some things and find out what the best options are? Um, and and one, of the, one of the reasons that I think we all know is that managers are uncomfortable because if they can't see an employee. And that is, in fact, uh, typically a sign of uh, weak management. The manager has never learned how to pay attention to making clear expectations of what's needed from the employee and then being able to make a reasonable assessment on whether they're delivering to those or not. Uh, so so this is where we, this idea of focusing on results. And, and let me tell you a story from the gap, which went to results only uh, work environment early on, where they just focused on results, not sitting at your desk. And some of the people who ended up suffering under that were people who were uh, not actually getting results, but were uh, displaying the behaviors you want of an employee. So they would always be on time. They would stay late. They'd say they'd always be upbeat and friendly and so on. Uh, they'd get along with everybody but they actually didn't get very much work done. And suddenly that became very evident when they moved to a focus on results as opposed to a focus on does this person look like a good corporate citizen? So leaders who think they can judge whether somebody is performing by virtue of the fact that they're in the office and they're smiling and they seem to be busy, uh, that's actually not a very good way of assessing someone's contribution. Uh, so they may be fooling themselves into thinking that they can tell someone's contribution if they're in the office, whereas they can't tell it if they're working from home. Mm, really appreciate your your perspective on that and also appreciate that it is a shift in competency and challenging for some leaders to identify more objectively. What does success look like? What are we measuring here for results. So I, I do hope your work and uh, advocacy in this area around taking more evidence-based approach uh, continues to help lots of our, our listeners who are endeavoring to, to influence their leaders take a much more progressive approach going forward. Um, as we get to the close to the end of our time, um, you had mentioned um, that you're currently investigating what it would take to create an AI coach that would have a meaningful impact on leadership. Are you able to tell us briefly about your findings so far? Okay, yeah, so this is a, a bit of a wacky project. So let me just, fair warning there. But basically, uh, if we talk about leadership, uh, is leadership any more effective than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And I don't think the evidence is that it is. I, th I think we, we always have these new ideas and uh, new ways of doing things. But at the uh, end of the day, we've made little to no meaningful pro progress in 40 years. So that really concerns me. Okay, We're, this, is our, this is our discipline, our field of expertise. Uh, and yet our discipline is not making progress. So the question becomes, what might make progress? And I think one thing that might make good progress, make a meaningful impact on how leaders perform, 
is if they had an AI coach basically following them around, uh, constantly working with them and giving them advice. So uh, that's what I think is something I would like people to uh, uh, work on. And I don't mean your typical HR professional. I, I'm talking about uh, startups and, and venture capitalists and or, as well as big organizations like Workday and so on to start uh, looking into this. And so I, I, I write about this. Uh, you can find some of this on LinkedIn or my Substack. And basically, I'm just trying to lay out some ideas about what this AI coach might be like. And, you know, and for example, one of the things that could really make it work is if you allow it to literally follow you around uh, through your workday, listening to your conversations, looking at your emails, and picking up areas where you could improve and giving you real-time feedback. Uh, that's not out of the question these days. Uh, it, it's a It's a technological stretch, but it's not science fiction. Uh, and, and with that, do you predict um, leaders being more open, employees being more open to such essentially monitoring, um, it, it being leveraged for their own learning? Yes. I, I mean, there are issues around monitoring, obviously. Uh, the simplest answer is that if this is your own coach and you own, you have complete ownership of anything it says or reads or, or whatever, uh, then there should be no issues around uh, the fact that this is reading all your emails. If your boss, on the other hand, says, oh, we're going to install this AI coach that is going to watch your every breath, uh, I think that could be an issue. Uh, interesting. So if we think about it, following the same protocols, coaches are expected to adhere to in real life coaches, um, that there may be more openness once we get comfortable with the technology. I think that'll be an important role for HR, how we manage the the requirements, the ethics around how data is, is managed. Yeah. And I also think it is true that uh, people become very comfortable with their cell phones spying on them. And so I think people will become more comfortable with um, AIs, we'll say, observing them once once they realize that the, there aren't all these deleterious consequences coming from it. it. It's more fear of the unknown than I think real danger in most cases, or, or they're not, or there are dangers we can, you know, dangers and ethical issues, we can mitigate all that. Uh, once we understand what they are, we don't have to be terrified of the unknown. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your time and your insights with us, David. Uh, for the audience, I know this was a short discussion. David, for those who would like to connect with you, uh, what's the best way to, to reach you? Yeah, the best way is to find me on LinkedIn. There aren't that many David Creelmans around. So uh, I think you'll be able to find me quite easily. Very good. As a reminder, we will be at the Agility Reimagined Summit on September 14th, which is a complimentary event for HR pros, and we hope to, to see you there. Thank you. Great chatting with you. Thanks, Pauline. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe and follow us on social media.